Uh, the vision meetings we've been having, 12 total, in, including uh, today after church, have, um, it's been tiring. Okay, it's been tiring having 12 extra meetings and they're like high energy and all that sort of thing. But Emily and I have really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it's been super helpful for us as, as pastors. It, if nothing else, just to see like about 100 people like who would like really care about the church enough to come to one of these and, and, uh, and you know, kind of talk insider talk. And, and through the process, um, I think we've, um, it's been a time for us to share what we see behind the scenes going on in the church. Um, but it's also been a time for us to reflect and hear, um, you know, members of the congregation, how, they, how they're connecting, what they see going on. And today what I wanted to do is just like highlight um, some of the things that we have focused on over this um, past month. October is Blue Ocean Connection Month. We have a one-year renewable approach to membership. So everyone who joins the church, joins the church like at the same time in the fall for the coming year. And we each do that um, every year, make our financial commitment to the church, etc. So um, the, the thing that really stands out from our, our vision meetings and from the um, uh, session we've had here on Sunday, I would say maybe especially some of the, the stories from people uh, other than me and Emily, is that um, Blue Ocean really seems to be a place where those who've been um, sometimes deeply affected by a, a toxic form of religion um, find some help in reintegrating um, like a, a, a better, clearer, a more helpful understanding of God with who they really are. And, you know, obviously for many of us, that's reintegrating spirituality and sexuality, which are two very tender and also very powerful and central aspects of our being. And, and you know, this is not just the case for our LGBTQ members, but men, many of our straight members who come from more conservative religious backgrounds uh, grew up with like a shame and guilt approach to sexuality. I think Sarah DeWard's class was actually covering this in the gender and the Bible class that's been going on before the service here. And I noticed in the notes it was about uh, purity culture. If you, if you come from a conservative evangelical background, you know exactly what that means. And that, and that can really um, kind of segment your understanding of, of sexuality in a way that's not so, not so helpful. Um, many of us, uh, aside from those questions, have been in a process of like, I don't know, reconstructing our faith after a period of, of questioning or revising or checking things that didn't make sense or didn't work or were framed in a much earlier period and, and don't really make sense to us in the modern world. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a psychologically complicated process to go through for people. Um, you know, often we inherit our sense of faith from the uh, family we were born into, or at the very least, our sense of faith is in, in who God is is mediated through the, the important mentors or teachers we have in our lives. That was certainly the case for me. And so all of that is like connected with a lot of love and a lot of wonderful things and a lot of sense of belonging, con connection and warmth. But when toxic elements of faith are woven into that mix, it's like, it's like 
the toxicity of the religious tradition can like get closer into your inner being through the love and then the process of distinguishing like the wheat from the chaff becomes like a lot of psychological uh, work and there are many people in our in our congregation who have been in that process of doing <coughs> doing that work there's a phrase from our reading today didn't know I'd do a great job with uh, with the reading today I thought you know Schaefer is awesome um, he read from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 and um, I want to pull out a verse uh, in the that's not part of that lectionary reading the readings that uh, liturgical churches do every week but it was the introductory uh, couple of verses to that reading and this is in the period, you know, Jeremiah is known as the doom and gloom prophet of Israel because he was ministering at a time when uh, it, um, Judah was like holding on for dear life and the Babylonian empire was getting ready to pounce. And in fact, they did pounce and there was a couple of major waves of exile ending eventually during Jeremiah's lifetime in the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem virtually. And I think Jeremiah... Uh, scholars say ended his life in Egypt because he was fleeing from this whole uh, situation. So it was a really dark time. But in Jeremiah, you also see some really powerful visions of, of hope, of like a glorious future. And it's that vision when you're in a really dark period that, that kind of empowers you, not in an escapist way, but in a like... I'm, I want to, you know, what Martin Luther King Jr. quoted another theologian saying, um, the uh, moral arc of the universe is long and it bends toward justice. Like having this faith sense that the, there's a God of justice at work in the universe and if we tune into him that we can cooperate with him in bending the universe, the moral arc of the universe toward justice, that, that we're part of a bigger story then. And that can be a very empowering thing when we're in a dark period. Um, the phrase that um, I wanted to pull out is those who survived the sword have found grace in the wilderness. And he's either talking about those who are in the wilderness on the way to Babylon in exile or he's talking about them in their return from exile through the Syrian wilderness. He says those who survived the sword, like who made it through all that trauma, have found grace in the wilderness, not in the destination, not in the return to the homeland, but have found grace in the wilderness. We're going to use that for our meditation at the very end here. But before, I wanted to um, invite uh, Fanette to talk for five minutes or so. Fanette is a part of our church. Come on up here, Fanette. Fanette Pierce, I've known, known for many years, actually. I think I connected with Fanette when you were a grad student at the University of Michigan. No? an undergraduate student at the University of Michigan. Holy smokes! Yes. Um, and uh, Fanet lives in, in Bear Lake now and is part of Blue Ocean, like at a distance, tunes in online. Hello, Monica, who's sailing around the world. Thank you very yep. Yes. Oh, and thank you, Robin. Robin's the one who makes it possible. I was saying how to Monica that I was Facebooking, who's, uh, I think, in Australia on a ship right now and was, is tuning in. So we have people. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Um, so I've, I've known Fanette for many years, and she's been through a really 
fascinating process of integrating her uh, understanding of following Jesus with her native heritage, um, Native American heritage. And I, I was, she was telling me about her, like how she, her prayer ritual in the morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to tell this story to, at, at Blue Ocean during our Blue Ocean Connection Month. So I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, Fayonette. Which in Kiowa means hi. Hi. Emha. Hyundai Onde Embo means uh, it's nice to see you. And most importantly, Deonde Bain Song, which means I'm so glad you came. I'm just so glad you came. Uh, I initially want to say a whole to you. Thank you um, to Ken for, share, for asking me to share. I've never done this before. Uh, especially to talk about um, my own morning offering time um, or about how I was raised and how that all impacted my, um, my faith journey, my healing journey, um, all of that. So uh, initially, I, am, um, I, was a, I was illegally adopted from, um, from the Kiowa and Comanche Nations in Oklahoma. And my folks were European-American missionaries, Christian missionaries uh, from the Methodist Church. And they were able to adopt me only because they had agreed within a year they would leave the state of Oklahoma. And so I, um, there would be no prosecution that they would be subject to. And so we moved to a reservation called the Net Lake Reservation in northern Minnesota. Um, my folks are both very accomplished. Um, they're both ordained Methodist ministers. My father was a lobbyist for the United Methodist Church and also an avid civil rights activist. Um, belonged to the NAACP during the 60s in Flint. Um, that's a whole other story. Um, but, uh, and my mother um, also, um, they're both nurses. Um, uh, my mother uh, pastored um, also, at the same time, my father was pastoring, so that was that was quite a feat. And she was also the um, fifth woman uh, who was ordained in the state of um, Minnesota. So that was um, big time, way back then. Um, and uh, just um, want to say that um, they certainly loved us a lot, my sister and I. Um, at the same time, a lot of what um, comments were made, um, ways of being, behavior, really impacted us in, um, in, in negatively, in often, um, as well as a church community. So the fact that um, that I am up here um, on, you know, this sanctuary-ish place. <laughs> um, no, it's holy. I know. Um, <laughs> Is, is really ironic to me um, because uh, my folks avidly believed that anything Native people did, especially with regard to religion, was um, evil. And there was more conversation in our home um, than there should have been about how 
um, Native people were shiftless. They were lazy. They were drunkards. They were, um, they were just not the person you would want to be. You don't want to be a Native person. And so that, um, coming from, you know, uh, your parents and your pastors and your church community, uh, it was it was huge. And uh, as a by the time I was three, I knew that um, that that I didn't want to be Indian. I definitely did not want to be Indian, <laughs> and I just wanted to be white. I wanted white skin. I wanted European ways, and anything that was native was totally off limits to me. And I knew that from the get go, from elementary school on. Um, so, um, in that way, um, it's remarkable that I'm standing here teaching you a native, or not teaching you, but teaching about a native way of prayer, because they certainly, um, well, they probably get it now, because they've all walked on, and they, and Creator has probably said, hey, you know, this is the way it's supposed to be, and, um, and I'm sure they would have gone, oh, wow, okay, but, but at the time it was happening, that was not the case. Um, I, shortly, um, I, um, shortly after I had um, been beat up for the last time and been, my ankle had been sprained in, in elementary school in, in Minnesota, we moved to Michigan. And um, my folks had, were from Michigan. They thought, oh, Michigan will probably be safer. It'll probably be nicer. Um, no. <laughs> but, but they tried. Um, uh, just one incident, um, there was a church member uh, who, when I was in the restroom um, and I was combing my hair and getting ready to go up to service, turned to me and said, um, you really need to cut your hair. You don't want to look like a wild Indian, do you? And, and I, who was the pastor's kid and had been taught, you don't ever say anything, you know, awful, horrible, or hateful to a church member. Um, I, I just smiled, you know, and, and was polite, and, and that was it. Um, then um, through my teen years and my adult years, you know, things like this just come up. They just happen, and no one really knows about them unless you broadcast it, and I certainly wasn't going to tell anybody. So um, I, I, never, um, I never really said much to anybody about it, but... Um, but it was it was causing all of the breaking down of who I was and who Creator really did want me to be, <laughs> and so um, in that way it was it was doing great harm. Uh, when I became an adult and and um, was more on my own, I um, I had um, come to a service once and. Um, and I was, uh, I was kind of surprised because these people seemed very welcoming. And um, so I stayed there a while until there were more incidents. And then I, I just left. And so I did that pattern of behavior over and over again until um, till one time there was uh, something that just was so severe that I just said, I've had it, and I even actually found my voice and said it to those people, and I walked out of their home, and I never went back, um, and I just, I told myself, I'm not going to be um, participating in Christian community anymore, because this is, this is hurtful, and it's hateful, and it's ugly, and I don't need it, uh, but I never broke with Creator, 
and um, and that uh, was a saving grace. And I don't know why, but I never really felt like Creator was um, was a part of that. It was always to me, it was always separated. So um, it was about this time that I met my um, my chairman uh, of the Kiowa Nation, Billy Evanshorse, and. We were standing in a parking lot, and he was, you know, I was asking him questions about being Kiowa, and and some of the things that Kiowa people do, and he just quickly um, turned right to prayer, and he said um, that this is how we pray, um, and he said, um, look up, and I, so I, I looked up, and he, and he said, we look up because Creator is up, Creator's not down, and and we prayed with open hands because um, ready to receive, ready to give, um, ready to be a part of the community. And that was a way of expressing that. Um, then he, whoops, he also, glasses in case I need them. Um, he also uh, taught me about um, how important the power of song is to the Kiowa people. And that song is our medicine. Um, and it's not seen that way in a European um, American way, but but it, true. It when you look back into scripture and and you see parallels of where song is is powerful. It was the only thing the Hebrews had to um, to really connect with with Jehovah uh, Sabaoth. And so in Kiowa tradition, we connect with Daki in Hebrew tradition, they connect with Jehovah Savot, and so um, I was beginning to see all these parallels in, in um, scripture and with how Kiowa people related to Daki, and so, um, so I, um, I thought before I talked about exactly how I pray, um, I just want to touch on two things. One is called, one is naming and being, and and even today, in, in some of the song, it was there was a calling out, um, and and that's what in John ten, um, Josiah Jesus calls out your name. You know, it says specifically in John ten, he calls us out, and he calls us into being. <clears throat> and when you've had to cover up who your being is for years and years and years. To read that with fresh eyes was um, so powerful. And uh, long ago, I had picked out the verse in Acts 17:28, "In Him I live and move and have my being," and that just held held so much more. And so I wanted to just touch on those two things that Creator. Every time we call people's names, we call them into being. Um, when you call people at the end of the service and you read the whole list, and when I first saw that, I thought, how very cool. They're calling everybody into wholeness. And that was, that was just, to me, the most awesome thing because as a, as a faith community, um, you, we're doing what, what Jaseya does calling us into that being and that wholeness of who he wants us to be. So quickly, I will go through what I do, because I know I probably passed my time. I didn't bring a clock. Um, <laughs> uh, at, 
the um, at the beginning, um, I use sage and I use tobacco and I use sweet grass and most of the um, plains nations and also the woodland nations in this area um, use that and they use them sometimes a little bit differently. Some people also use cedar. Um, I haven't done that yet, but I may. Um, first, um, I, I just light sage and let the smoke um, kind of waft over me because sage is a cleansing herb. And in my thinking process, it's a way um, to tangibly express Jesaya's way of cleansing us before we walk into the Holy of Holies or before we walk into our prayer time and, and um, speak with, um, with Daki, um, God. <laughs> uh, so I do that first, and then I pick up tobacco, and I, and I pick up tobacco with my left hand, which is how I've been taught, and um, do that in the left hand because that is the hand that's closest to our hearts. And the tobacco actually holds our prayers, at least that's what I have been told. <laughs> And uh, so I, I always just hold on to, and you don't have to take a whole lot. You can just take a little, but um, hold that until um, my prayer time is all the way done. And then um, we either toss it into the wind and the wind carries it, or we throw it into the fire and the smoke um, carries up uh, our request to um, Creator Abba. Um, the east is, we use the, I use the directions, which is the directions of the medicine wheel. Some of you are probably familiar with that. Um, east, west, north, south. East is the place of beginnings. And this is the place where I just begin with gratitude. Um, and I thank Creator for everybody in my family, uh, which is how Billy Evans Horse had taught me how to do it. He said he, he and his wife would thank every, for everybody in their family, for all their extended family, for all the people in their tribe. And then for all the people that were like myself, were separated from, um, from them and are finding their way back and that they would find their way back. Um, so um, I do that. Um, and, then, um, and then I always pray um, the, the Lord's Prayer with adjustments. Um, <laughs> and then always scripture. Um, I, I use a lot of scripture and pray that over my kids and my extended family and um, my family and uh, friends, close friends, um, whoever happens to need it. And uh, I also um, ask Great Holy Spirit to go before us and behind us, to the left and the right, above us and below us, to energize us with Creator's energy, with Creator's um, spirit, with Creator's wisdom, and with Creator's love. And um, then I do a few other um, prayers, um, which I will just kind of skip because we need to move on here. Um, next is the West, which is the place of learning and teaching and wisdom. And it's also the place of the ancestors because when our ancestors walk on, they, they go out through the West, Western door. And uh, Paul speaks of our ancestors in Scripture when he talks about so great a cloud of witnesses that are watching us and cheering us. And we, I heard that same teaching in um, one of our native gatherings that our ancestors are cheering us on. And so don't ever feel like you're alone because they're there. 
though we may not have any tangible evidence of that. Um, then, um, then I, at that time, I also pray for, for, uh, and I'm thankful for the companionship of wisdom um, that Creator gives us, the entity of wisdom that walks with us and helps us to make good and right decisions and to walk in a good way because it's very, very hard, especially nowadays. <laughs> um, and also for wisdom and knowledge and understanding um, that, um, that comes from Daniel too. Uh, and then um, when, each time I'm done with a direction, I, I go in a circle and just give thanks in each direction. And to the north, which is next, which is the place of well-being and help and wholeness. I pray again for each of my family, for each of the challenges that they're having, for, um, and thankfulness always starts it, um, because if anybody has been sick or ill in our family, I always thank Creator, um, Jeho um, Jehovah Rapha, that, um, that they're healed and, and they're whole, and that they would continue to be healed and whole. Um, and then there's several private things that I pray during that time as well. And then um, the last is, um, it, before I do the, direct, the southern direction, which is the direction of relationships, um, I, I ask, this is my time to ask for prayer for people who are outside of my extended family, outside of my family. I'll, I always pray for the Kiowa family that I don't know yet. And um, uh, these are folks outside of that. They're acquaintances, close friends, Facebook friends. You know, you get Facebook posts that say, please pray for so-and-so. They go there. <laughs> Um, I always um, pray for Ken and Julia and Oceana and the Wilson kids and their family and Emily and Rachel and because I know how hard it is to be a pastor's family and a pastor's kid and, and to um, just relate in a good way always to your congregation and it's, it's hard. It really is hard. <laughs> And so, um, so they need all the prayer they can get, you guys. <laughs> um, and then I, and then I, I have that. I mentioned that list for Blue Ocean. Um, I pray for the people on that list. I don't remember their names, but Creator does. And and I pray that as they're called out, that they are brought into wholeness and into the being that Creator really wanted them to be. Um, and in that, um, and with that, I just want to take a quick aside and, and speak just a little bit about, um, the, um, the way that I learned, which was very different from growing up European, um, in relating to people who were, um, who were what I was told were called two-spirit people, um, when I was at a powwow one time and someone said, oh yeah, they're two-spirit, and, and I, I, I knew that the native way is to step back and be patient and wait and listen and learn and observe and then you'll find out your answer to your question. However, not being raised in that tradition, <laughs> I, I just said, what's two-spirit? <laughs> and, and they said, oh, that's when... Um, 
they, um, they select partners of their own um, gender. Only they didn't say gender, but I will, because I'm more comfortable that way. <laughs> and so, um, so I, I said, oh, and then they just went on with what they were doing. And I'm, I was like, wait a minute. That was like dropping a bomb into my worldview. And I had not ever heard that before. And I had always heard that these, these people are very different. I, I had just not heard it that way before. Let's just leave it there. And, uh, and so I thought, OK, I'll wait. I'll listen. I'll observe. And so I did. And throughout the powwow, I watched how people who knew these people were two-spirit interact with them. And there was nothing, no, no negative talk, no talking behind their back, no excluding from any part of anything. And it was just, there was, it wasn't an issue. It was, it was just like, an, there was no elephant in the room. And, and I, I was amazed. And, and I wasn't sure if this was okay or not. But the more you observe it, and the more you walk in that way, it's just, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. And so I was, I am actually grateful to those people. I don't even remember who they are. But whoever you are, um, thank you so much for teaching me that. Um, because um, we all need to, um, to be accepted and feel have a sense of belonging and and I think that that's what blue ocean is really all about um, that sense of belonging and that sense of uh, I know for me um, Ken and Nancy were just say I was skin on at a really really tough time in my own life when I was questioning a lot of stuff as was Billy Evans horse um, it was um, it was remarkable that we that Creator was working, and I didn't see it. <laughs> um, last is the southern direction, and that is for relationships. And it's here that I that I am first thankful that Creator um, has us in good relation with all creation, and that and I say that to myself just to remind myself that we need to be in good relation with all creation. And that means all creatures. That means the planet for us. Um, and then uh, that creator would extend favor to each of my kids, each of my grandkids, um, friends of my kids, um, people that I know, um, and um, all of the children. And especially that creator would provide four good people to walk alongside my kids and my grandkids to show them who he really, or who Creator really is. And um, then at the end, I just light sweet grass, which is a, um, it's a, a, just another herb and just is an outward expression of healing um, because sweet grass is supposed to be for healing. And, um, and that is the end. So I would just like to once again say, Deon de Bainson, I'm glad you're here. And prayers up, and Ducky bless you.
Okay. Wasn't that like fascinating? Yeah. Like that was fascinating to me. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be like Fayonette when I grow up. You know, like, I mean, that, what you just saw is the result of years of doing the hard work of integrating, of separating the wheat from the chaff. And I mean, that, that, that did not come like, oh, I'm just going to make up some stuff. That, that was years of work. And I just like, gosh, so many people in our congregation are, are like on the, maybe the front end of that, that journey of, of work and integration. And, and we get to see the, like the, what it can look like you know, when it's mature and then it's really worked. How long does it take you to pray? In, do you pray in the morning? <laughs> Half an hour. And do you pray outside or inside? Right. I wish Carrie Middow were here because Carrie Middow has this thing about activity and all that sort of thing and your way of praying would... Um, Carrie Middow... Somebody tell Carrie Mehta to watch this on, uh, <laughs> online because I think she'll really, um, she'll groove on it. But, you know, I think one of the things that um, we've been seeing in this uh, Blue Ocean Connection Month, October, as we've been hearing from different people, is um, that, that there really is like a deep spiritual call um, for us to be allies for one another. You know, that that's not just a thing that you, you know, you hear in some presentation in your workplace, how to be an ally, that sort of thing. But it's really central to who we are as Jesus followers is becoming the kind of people who can um, enlarge our hearts, who can see where our perspectives have been excessively narrow and change our minds and come to a place of really being allies to people who really matter to God. I mean, I, I'm, um, I started reading, when I was doing my change of mind on LGBT, I started reading a gay Catholic theologian named James Allison. And his dissertation, the title of his dissertation was The Joy of Being Wrong. And it was actually a book on the atonement um, how God, through Christ, um, reconciled all things and is bringing things together. And the title was The Joy of Being Wrong. And I resonated with that title so much because I noticed that over, over decades, some of the times when I felt closest to God, when I felt like, oh, God really does exist and God really is like connecting with me and leading me on is when I've experienced being wrong and noticing the joy in the experience of realizing that you were wrong and you don't have to stay wrong. You know, Liz Dyer, if you didn't see Liz Dyer's presentation last Sunday, it was probably, I've heard many different presentations on how people change their mind on LGBTQ uh, questions, but Liz's was by far the best. I'd say that was spiritually brilliant, that presentation. Please, if you haven't seen it, take a look at it on, online. And she described the process of being wrong with her son 
And coming to a point when she realized that, and it was so clearly a work of the Holy Spirit in her heart, and it took her from this place of anxiety and narrowness and internal constriction and fear and worry into just like first, uh, just a relaxed posture. Remember she said she just decided that her son was representing Christ more to her than she was representing Christ to her son when he came out as gay in that first couple years difficult process they had together. And her first move was to say, I really just need to listen to you for a while. And that's when she started to relax inside. That's when the spirit of fear just kind of left her because the Holy Spirit was kind of replacing the spirit of fear with a, with a spirit of love. And over a period of time, she came to realize how wrong she was. When you mentioned, Fayonette, your, your parents, and, um, you know, they're passing on, walking on. They died, and they're, they're in the presence of Creator. And Creator's talking to them about, oh, there were some things you did in the child-rearing uh, department that, you know, and how, yeah, in that, in that context, they're like, oh my gosh. And sure, there's regret and there's remorse, but more than anything, there's a sense of, wait a minute, there's a God who is like leading us all together. And there is a real joy in discovering that you were wrong and finding your way out of that to something else. And that's something that, that allies go through uh, in, in that process. Um, you know, I thought one of the most significant things that happened um, during, uh, during this past month was when Ben gave his uh, story. That would have been, I don't know, was that three weeks ago? If you didn't have a chance to see Ben's story, Ben told about how um, he was publicly outed from his homeland, the, the, the major new newspaper of his homeland, um, you know, like the, the USA Today um, of, of his country, um, had a, like an outing article on the first page. And that's how his parents and his family found out that he had been married. And, you know, and just what it means, like I can't go back to my homeland at least for a while, it's, it's not safe for, for me. And he described that, that experience, and then he said, you know, when I came to the United States, I realized for the first time that I was black. <laughs> I realized, oh, oh, it really means something different to be the skin color I am here than it does in my homeland. And then he said something that I like, oh my gosh, it just like seared into me, my heart. He said, now that I'm here, I can say clearly, it's, was, it's easier for me to be a gay man than to be a black man in the United States. And I'm like, oh my gosh, after hearing his story of what the price he paid for being a gay man, to, to hear that testimony, I was like, oh my gosh, Holy Spirit, open my white ears. You know what I'm saying? Like, open my white heart. Open, open my understanding that has been shaped by growing up in a country that is riddled with racism and there's no escaping it, you know? And, it's, and like, it's not enough to be a liberal. It's not enough to, you know, say, well, I, you know, I don't use the N-word or I don't do all these kinds of things that my racist relatives do. No, we've all been affected by our environment. And, and the joy of being wrong is saying, oh, um, 
I can be enlightened. I can, uh, the Spirit can move in me. I can move out of this posture of fear and narrowness into a posture of open-heartedness and understanding and embrace. And that is like the key to making the world a better place. You know, It's the key to making the world a better place. And, and I think one of the, the mission of our church is to be an incubator for people to have that experience and to be like a hothouse for that to happen among us. You know, one of the things that Emily and I have decided to do in the, in the coming years is to write a set of uh, blog posts, maybe like once a month. And um, I hope we come up with a better title for the series than this, but it's basically how to be a better white person. You know, like how to understand the experience of people of color. What, what is it that people of color need white people to understand in order for them to be like better allies and better brothers and better sisters and, and better friends? And so we're, we're going to, um, you know, with consultation, with, with help, we're going to come up with like, like little four-minute blog posts. We'll probably record them for anyone who doesn't like to, to, like to read, post them, and, and I... My ask is that all of our majority white members would read those blog posts. We do lots of blog posts about lots of issues. You don't need to read all that stuff. You don't need all that, you know. What does Emily think about this? What does Ken think about that? Whatever. You hear us enough. But those posts, we we hope that you will uh, pay attention to so that we can continue uh, in this process as a a church congregation. Um, I think I'm done.